AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When you meet someone for the first time, one question they'll inevitably ask you is, what do you do? As if the job you perform for eight hours a day is all that defines you. It doesn't matter if you're also a spouse, a parent, a dungeon master, or a glassblower. All they care about is what you get paid to do for a living. The thing is, we are so much more than our occupations. We, as human beings, contain multitudes. We have passions and talents and people we love who fulfill us and enrich our lives. Well, Elizabeth Sagru didn't have any of those things. She was born in Ireland in the mid-1700s, and from what little is known about her, she had a heck of a temper. Her husband, a farmer, died suddenly, leaving her to raise her two small children alone. Without a single cent to her name, Elizabeth was evicted from her home. It's not clear why she chose to move to the town of Roscommon, 186 miles away, but she and her children walked all the way there to start their lives over. Her youngest, sadly, did not make the trip. He succumbed to starvation and exposure and was most likely buried along the road. Elizabeth and her older child, Padraig, moved into a tiny house in Roscommon. They resorted to panhandling and rubbaging through trash to get by. Occasionally, they'd also steal what they could from unsuspecting neighbors. The Sagrus developed quite the reputation around town. For one, Elizabeth's bad temper made her prone to violent outbursts. Padraig bore the brunt of these, and around 1775, he left home for good to serve in the British Army. He traveled to North America to serve the crown. He wrote to his mother about his travels over the years, but his departure only sent Elizabeth spiraling inward. She got angrier and spent much of her time in her home. Occasionally, she would take in a lodger, earning a few pennies for a night's stay. One night, a man appeared at her doorstep asking for room and board. He was finely dressed and carried with him a small purse full of gold coins. Elizabeth let him in as she had done for others, allowing him to use her bed while she slept elsewhere. But this time, she took note of the coin purse he had with him and how all that gold could do wonders for her. She could finally afford proper food, maybe even a better house. The more she thought about it, the darker her thoughts grew. That night, as the man slept, she approached the bed with a knife in her hand and stabbed him. She then relieved his body of the gold coins. As she went through his pockets, however, she came across some identification papers that he was also carrying. Elizabeth read them carefully. The man she had killed was none other than Padraig Sigru, her eldest son. Filled with grief over the loss of her only son, she fled into the night and confessed her crimes for all to hear. 
She was arrested, tried, and sentenced to death for her crimes, alongside a rogues gallery of 25 other criminals. There were thieves and vandals, including children who had gone around knocking down fence posts for fun. Elizabeth, Lady Betty as she had come to be known, would be hanged. A large crowd gathered around the gallows to watch her pay for her crime. There was just one problem. The hangman was homesick. With no one else willing to take on the job and a restless crowd waiting to see some executions, Betty volunteered to do the deed. One by one, she sent the other 24 prisoners ahead of her to their deaths as she released the trap door below them. Her performance that day left an impression on the authorities. In fact, she had inadvertently auditioned to be the regular hangman's replacement, as he eventually died from his illness. Lady Betty lived the rest of her life in jail. She had a garden she tended each day, and she covered her walls in charcoal sketches that she drew of the people she killed. Her life was difficult and tragic from beginning to end, and she died in prison in 1807 and was buried in an unmarked grave. The story surrounding her death is questionable as well. According to some, she died of natural causes. However, the prevailing theory is that she was killed by another prisoner who hit her with a rock. Elizabeth Sagru never got her happy ending, but she did eventually find peace. It's just a shame. So many people had to die for her to get there. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great, too with thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. 
With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. When British Commander Robert Ross marched his army into Washington, D.C. the night of August 24th of 1814, he wasn't expecting a ghost town. You see, President Madison and all of his government officials had already vacated the city in preparation for the invasion. With no one to stop him, Ross saw his opportunity for British vengeance and ordered the burning of the White House and the Capitol building, which at that time housed the Congressional Library in the North Wing. It had no chance against British rockets and gunpowder, creating a blaze that claimed 3,000 books and maps. One of the few pieces to survive was an accounts and receipts book from 1810, taken as a souvenir by Sir George Cockburn. When the war finally ended in February of 1815, President Madison returned to D.C., but found the city a bit lacking in amenities. The White House and the Capitol building lay in ruins, and the books within nothing but ash. And that's when former President Thomas Jefferson returned to action, a veteran of this kind of quandary, if you will. That's because in 1770, when Thomas Jefferson was just 27 years old, his family home burned down, taking with it the collection of books he had already amassed at his young age. Naturally, it was the books Jefferson lamented losing the most. So when more books were lost to flames in 1814 in D.C., this time with Jefferson in a position to help, that's exactly what he did, offering his 6,500 volumes to the nation for any price they deemed fair. Problem solved, right? Well, not necessarily. After all, this is politics, and nothing ever comes easy. Before Congress could accept Jefferson's offer and make a deal, they first had to pass a bill that allowed them to do so. And in a tune eerily familiar to the modern ear, this bill did not pass unanimously. Not even close. In fact, some Federalists didn't even want the books, one of whom claimed that they contained too much of Jefferson's, and I quote, infidel philosophy. So when the time came to vote, there was only one thing that counted, a majority along party lines. But they got it. With Congress out of the way, the U.S. was clear to repair the damage. They paid Jefferson $23,950 for his collection, roughly half a million dollars today. Now, before you go accusing Jefferson of cashing in on the situation for a quick payday, remember that Jefferson offered to sell for, and I quote, whatever valuation they deemed fair. Besides, he had his own bills to pay, too. Over half of that sum was used to pay off debts to William Short, who funded Jefferson's nail manufactory, and to John Barnes, who covered Jefferson's kind donation to a friend in need. By May of 1815, just two months after the conclusion of the war, Jefferson's books were packed up in their original cases that they were shelved in at Monticello, loaded into 10 wagons, and carted off to their new home in the capital. But the story still doesn't end there. In fact, you could say that there was still more fuel to throw on the fire. On Christmas Eve of 1851, the library burned down yet again. This time at no fault of the British, but rather a faulty chimney flue. The fire destroyed nearly two-thirds of the then 55,000 volumes. And yes, that included most of what Jefferson provided in 1815. Not all is lost, though. Remember the account book taken by Sir George Cockburn as a souvenir? In 1940, it was gifted back to the United States government and restored to its rightful place in the new and improved Library of Congress, now in its own building. 
there, it sits alongside over 100 million other books, all hoping that that old adage of third time's a charm holds true. And in case you're wondering, despite the new building being built in 1897, it has indeed been recently updated, with modern fire prevention measures, including a sprinkler system. Because, you know, just in case. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.